Welcome to Podvant Guard. I'm Andrea Gazetta. I'm Katrina Davis. And I am Jordan Lee Williams. And with us today we have Paige Wesley. Yay! Yay yourself. And we are gonna get into part two of Frank Lloyd Wright, baby. This has everything. If you guys remember last week, we sort of talked about uh, Wright's early childhood, him getting really into architecture, and uh, some (laughs) weird shit he was doing with his- And really into architects. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember his, his very sweet relationship. I felt very, very bad that it didn't work out for them. But also, I know that this is not an episode of like Queer Eye or anything, so you know I can't count on things to turn it's, out every time. It's not, but surprisingly, almost every single person in today's episode is also queer. So it's just Yay. like mm, we'll get into it. Uh, <laughs> so in 1898, Frank Lloyd Wright built his architecture studio right alongside his Oak Park home. Wright modeled this building after Gothic cathedrals with a key feature that would crop up again and again in his designs. Instead of having a door at the front and center of the house, he placed the entryway to the side of the building, often somewhat hidden from view. Wright used this space to, quote, deliver the gospel of organic architecture to his draftsmen. As he started designing what came to be known as his prairie houses, Wright borrowed heavily from the architectural principles of Gothic cathedrals. He used cruciform floor plans, which are just floor plans in the shape of a cross. He used clerestory windows, which are those windows that are really high up that uh, let a lot of light in, but the neighbors can't see your dick. Uh, Oh, I love those. They're really pretty. (laughs) He used cathedral ceilings, stained glass windows, and built-in-place furniture that left his clients with nothing to arrange themselves. So, <laughs> wow, so they can't move it. Freak. They can't move it. <laughs> Frank Lloyd Wright oh, is. This is the living room. This is the living room. <laughs> this is what you fucking get. We were trying to angle it so the TV can. No. This no. is what you fucking get. This is pre TV, no. but also like. This is what you fucking get. And here's the thing is like people were constantly like asking him design things, but he just wouldn't really budge because he's like, I'm a fucking genius. And he was essentially creating churches that were houses. And a lot of that has to do with sort of his spiritual beliefs about the sacredness of architecture and the sacredness of the home. And I think that metaphorically he saw homes as churches. He actually wrote uh, in one of his, I don't know if it was a letter or what it was, but he basically wrote that man and God get closer and closer together for me. And now man is God. Like, so his belief is essentially that he's God and that he, him creating architecture is sort of delivering people from, I don't know, their own sort of like lives. Like he's like, I'm planning everything. I'm organizing everything. It's best because I'm doing it. And I'm really great. Great. All like, f- furniture is a pew. It does absolutely. not move. It is bolted to the ground. How am I like, supposed to have sex on this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this time, too, like, Wright's wife, Catherine, attends church. She's, like, part of church a lot. Wright doesn't really go to church because he kind of thinks he is church, if that makes sense. Um, but, yeah. He's also such a control freak. He – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jordan. Oh, what year is this? This is uh, 1898. 
Okay, so have we hit the time in America when uh, we've got all this new scientific exploration where like the church and science are starting to kind of talk to each other? Uh, I would or say that happened. Yell at each other? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Because that happened before this. That was all about like, oh well, God, look at all these amazing things that God made of science. Like that, the the enlightenment yeah. was. Yeah. I think the enlightenment had happened uh, before this. This is more okay. like a lot of the things that are happening in this era. Actually, we'll we'll get into it. I don't want to like. Because I, I do talk about some of the cultural things that are happening at this time in my next paragraph. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. But one thing that I think is really interesting about this time is that Frank Lloyd Wright is such a control freak. He even tells his wife what she should be wearing. So that's mm. like the kind of husband he is, is he's telling her like he's designing dresses for his wife and being like, this is what you will wear. Which is also Kanye. something... Yeah, I was supposed to say, which is also something that some pastors do for their wives. There's, there's a lot of weird, especially te- really? yeah, televangelists, especially. Yeah. yeah. I, I also I have a very and here's the thing. I, I have this memory of being a little girl in church and there was a woman who dressed uh, like not necessarily provocatively, but just loud. And it was very like almost kind of Vegas showgirl, but like everyday wear, which is a look and I remember asking my mom at the time I'm like why does she dress like that because she stood so like stood out and my mom I remember my mom saying I think that's how her husband wants her to dress and I remember feeling very strange about that as a child and as an adult I don't know if that was true or if my mom just (laughs) said that and if she was just a loud ass bitch and I feel like as an adult I would love her and as a kid I just didn't understand but that is a thing. It's not the only time I've encountered husbands who are very specific about the way their wife dresses. Yes. But well, I'm also imagining your mom knowing her dad and him just having like a huge pompadour and like <laughs> embellished lapels. He, like... he did dress a little odd as well, but not nearly as odd as her. She had ble- like platinum bleach blonde hair to her butt, like long and she was easily the same age as my mom because she had children that were a little younger than me and this is the 90s so it's like it it was like hair metal bleach blonde waltzing through the halls of church so i i don't know if that was him wanting her to dress that way or her dressing that way i love the idea of my mom saying it who's ready to praise the loud (laughs) (laughs) heavy metal christ i did also in church when I was younger, it was like um, one of the churches I went to when I was way younger. Everyone always talked about how the pastor's wife wore her hair certain ways because it was how like the pastor told her to wear her hair that day. And I never forgot it because it was just like the idea of me listening to anyone. Like I barely listened to people then. Yeah. Having free agency. And someone being like, I like the way your hair looks like good for you. Like, thanks for sharing. (laughs) But I don't know. Yeah. I was also that kind of child. (laughs) I was like borderline feral as a child. My mom would be like, we're going to a wedding. You have to wear a dress. I'm like, prepare to get this dress ruined, bitch. Cause fuck dresses. Like I just, My mom does still even now, like I'll walk with my mom somewhere. And if I walk through like the middle patch where there's mulch instead of the sidewalk, she's like, I swear you find dirt. 
just like, what's your problem? (laughs) There's a family story about my parents trying to get me ready for church and putting me into a navy dress and I did not like the color and got so upset I threw up all over the dress, forcing (laughs) them to then change it. Oh my um, god! And they did not fight with me over clothes much after that. So you could fucking, say I won. Fucking yeah. power move, Paige! Holy shit! <laughs> so in 1900, Wright formed a friendship with Charles Ashby, who was an English architect and leader of the arts and crafts movement. Yes. Love the arts and crafts movement. I have been saying for years that we are currently in the second arts and crafts movement. There is such a focus on all of the handmade in the face of industrialization and this move to like Etsy and everything being handmade. It's oh, yes. It's also very I very much enjoy it. It's the absolutely exact opposite of uh that modern idea of like minimalism mm-hmm. yes arts and crafts mm-hmm. is yeah. about like everything it's all here it's all here <laughs> well and arts and crafts i think you touched on this jordan and i think that this is exactly what we're experiencing right now the arts and crafts movement wasn't just about people making stuff it was in many ways a direct response to capitalism and the industrial revolution and it was a way for individuals to seize back power and control over both their own income and the objects around them so like yeah that shit (laughs) yeah Yeah, Um, that definitely feels like versions of what we're doing right now even if it's like taking my money and giving it to my friends for their art and stuff is like my little version of being like, ha you gave me money and I'm just giving it to my friends. <laughs> yeah, I do at the time, like, because of the way that the Industrial Revolution ended up, everything was, it was basically, we're living in the, the complete end result of industrialization where everything is mass produced and it's all yep. made way lower quality and it falls apart. So with the original arts and crafts, I shouldn't call it the original because no one else says that this is arts and crafts too. That's just what I No, we're starting we're it. Podvant Guard. You fucking heard it here. <laughs> arts, arts and, and crafts, crafts too. too. It's dropping arts right now. Arts and craftier. <laughs> but, uh, we are naming was made on so, the timeline. <laughs> everything was made so uh, less high quality. And so all of this, it burned this movement back to like handmade artisan uh just things yep. that were not mass produced absolutely my um my only concern is the commodification of hobbies where like yeah. i feel like oh people yeah who no, are no, no, no artisans then feel this intense pressure to make money from their art which takes their enjoyment out of it so that's the part well, i'd love uh, to solve I don't have a solution. The current, like the capitalism, that's that's capitalism. Because back then it wasn't so much like that. It was just like, oh, we have these these people who have studied and apprenticed, and their job before industrialization was to create all of these handmade furnitures and create these plates, these the the china, the porcelain, that kind of thing, and so. It, today's world it's very different because it is just like okay you can't have a hobby you're not allowed to just paint because you like to paint you have to figure out how much are you charging per hour what are you going to charge 
why are you making this and how much can you sell it for? Back then it was more, no, these are specific careers that people have had. It's just with industrialization because it was the, the de-skilling of workers. That's, that's the end goal of all industrial industrialization is that you are breaking down each part of building something into something where one person can do this and that's all they do all day. They add this one nail to this one spot and then the next person down the line does this and Henry Ford perfected it with the the automobile, but it's, yeah, de-skilling. Absolutely. And I think that today what we're seeing with the... uh, the way that people commodify their hobbies is a direct result to the fact that we just have stagnant wages and people literally do not have free time. We literally cannot just do things we enjoy. You know, my job that just fired me, I got two weeks of vacation a year and I had five sick days. So like the idea that I would have time to just do what I love and not get some of that money back (laughs) is insane. Uh, yeah, you have to like uh, break even on what you love at absolutely. least if you're going to want to do it all the time. Absolutely. So, yeah. so but yeah, yeah. Uh, says four artists. So uh, <laughs> Ashby, Ashby and Wright were instantaneous friends who shared a lot of beliefs with one another, uh, though there was one big difference. Though Ashby was married to a woman, he openly advocated for the superiority of homosexual love or as he called it, comradeship which makes those <laughs> which makes those soviet posters of men in homoerotic positions make so much more sense and i have one for you guys here yes! i will share on the screen this yes! is my favorite thing of all time it's a game called uh communist propaganda posters or gay couples vacation pics oh my god <laughs> yes <laughs> Are they sometimes both? (laughs) (laughs) I wish they were, but these are all communist propaganda posters, and we'll put these on the Instagram. But basically, like, Russia and China were both like, we need to be allies. And so there are all these photos of, like, Russian men, like, welding together and, like, holding each other. And, like, it's very tender and beautiful. Just dudes being dudes. Just dudes being dudes. I really like the one where there's the the Chinese man and the Russian man, and then they're each embracing both each other and ch- like two boys of also the same two different nationalities. But like the <laughs> Russian boy is in front of the Chinese man, like they've started right. an adorable family. <laughs> I mean, that just reminds me of there was a Thirty Rock episode where somebody hands somebody a book and you get a shot of it for a second. And just the book is called "There's No Wrong Way to Make a Family," and it's like two dads, a witch, a kid in a wheelchair, and then a kid of indeterminate race. <laughs> it's just like, like, hilarious combo. But also, what? Here's the thing. In a time where people were so hypersensitive to something looking that way, I want to go to all these weddings. Yes. It's so, okay. Yes. It's, yes. It, looking back on things like this makes me laugh because I know that some of them are made in times where homosexuality was so socially unacceptable, like on a large scale. 
that they would look at stuff like this and be like, well, yeah, that's just manhood. Like, <laughs> this is too straight men showing totally not gay straight love to another man. It's just friends helping each other out. Absolutely. Like the, like the <clears throat> least romantic of these posters that we will post on our Instagram, they like at least look like best friend superheroes. Yes, <laughs> and that's, that's the one to the furthest left for like what we're looking at now. The Absolutely. one on the furthest right is clearly a couple that started their own orchard, and you cannot tell me differently. <laughs> yes, like that is an invitation to the grand opening of their vineyard, and I don't know why we're discussing anything else. Like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And they have doves that they rescue there, or it's a John Woo film, like one of the two. <laughs> yep. It's fucking adorable. They're just adorable. in a Prince music video, and the rest of us are not fit to breathe the same air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Because when were those made? When were those posters like? Because also, what are they promoting? Just togetherness in socialness? Uh, the healing power well, of dicks and butts, clearly. I mean, what they're supposedly <laughs> promoting is Soviet allyship. So this was made after the uh, the Chinese Revolution, which actually I can Google when that was. I don't remember. That was in around 1949 is, is what it's saying to me. But it sounds like it kind of started around 1945. Um, those That poster is older, but these ideas like the Russian Revolution is still almost about to start that happens in like 1917 um and so we're not far away from the soviet revolution at this time and a lot of those ideas of like the workers taking back their power uh are things that show up in the arts and crafts movement ashby was of socialist. most people in the arts and crafts movement were socialists actually the studio i used to work for was built in 1897 and when i first got there above the doorway there is a like a hand holding a hammer and it says we work over it and when i saw it i was like is this some soviet shit and it's it's part of the arts and crafts movement and it is has a lot of the same imagery as the soviet revolution because they held socialist ideas um which my employer did not tell me because he is a capitalist but yeah <laughs> but they, what's in they, the building is from back then the building was built in 1897 it burnt down in 1920 and was rebuilt but when it was rebuilt it was rebuilt as part of the arts and crafts movement in california so oh, nice. yeah so it, it was part of the california arts and crafts movement and that's part of how the glass studio started it used to be like glass glass artists um like furniture makers, other type of tradesmen. So it, it originally started as a guild, the Royal Guild of Fellow Craftspeople. Just some I'm obsessed facts. with ceramics from that era in California because there yeah. are multiple ceramic studios from that arts and crafts movement that end up making what becomes the ceramic aesthetic of the mid-century movement in California. And I have a lot of it in my house mm, that I nice. just gradually hoard as I find it. Yeah, they're pretty cool. So, yeah. Ashby had founded the Guild of Handicraft in London in 1888, which was a cooperative workshop for craftsmen. At this time, he was attempting to integrate a school for young boys to learn crafts as part of the guild. By 1902, Ashby would move his guild to the countryside for both affordability and privacy. Privacy. <laughs> privacy. Oh, no, I shouldn't laugh. That's terrible. That's terrible. 
Yeah, yeah I know what kind of boys. Completely expected. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, although the guild would eventually fall apart due to money issues, like every fucking commune ever, it would be the template off of which Wright would have found his own school. Um, the privacy thing is also interesting because Ashby, again, he would go on these like long excursions with other men in the guild and they would just go on like a picnic for three days and swim in the nude and draw each other in the nude and just like hang out a lot. So it's just like he's taking lovers. Um, a three-day um, picnic. Yeah. There's never been a three-day picnic. Yeah. Not without sex there hasn't been. <laughs> that sounds amazing though. Has been working on this salami. He just brings a bunch of baguettes, just all phallic picnic foods. <laughs> He's I like, mean... well, it took three days because I had to make the baguettes from scratch, and that's how long it takes. <laughs> but it's the OG like penis cake is a baguette. Uh, it is. It's kind of sad because Ashby did have a wife, and she knew that he was gay. Like she knew that he would never really have sexual interest in her. But she actually had a mental breakdown at a certain point in their marriage because she was like, I've never been touched by my husband and he won't have sex with me. Like she wasn't on the same page in terms of... I mean, how she was going to handle this. Yeah. I mean, I, w- women be horny too. Like to go right. your entire life without being physically sexually right. wanted for most people would be very difficult. So right. that's hard. It sucks. Um, well, and she probably did not have the same freedoms that he had to seek that kind of a connection extramaritally. And that's what I'm yes. thinking is yes. like the idea of them having an understanding that she would get hers too, but people probably would immediately be like, well, you're married. Right. Yep. Yeah. Rules be different for women and men in this time and still and still today. Uh, by 1909, Wright seemed to have it all. A wife, six children, and a magnificent career. He had revolutionized architecture in America, drawing from Gothic and Japanese styles. He had introduced raw concrete into the American architectural landscape and was a socialite who was widely respected in upper circles. He spent a lot of time in Japan, um, and that's where he learned a lot about some of the like the wooden structures that he would build and sort of like a lot of his design principles come from actually Japanese architecture. And the the whole thing about using concrete is he came here and was like, look, guys, I invented this. He took it from Japan. Japan did it first. But he was kind of like, I did this. Even like now and I feel like in the 90s, it's also just like rich people in America thinking raw concrete is cool. Oh, my God. I feel like that's the thing that comes back. It's like, "Mm, so raw and industrious. Like, I still will see that in people's lofts. And my mom is always just like, "Mm, it's porous and they have a dog. Yes. Yeah, it's gross. (laughs) That's like whenever people pour concrete countertops, I'm like, you don't cook. You clearly don't. Yes, yeah, my mom yeah. says stuff like that. So it's funny. really nasty yep. too. It's like nasty to build. You gotta sand it. It's a whole fucking thing. Oh. And then they cracks. They just crack sometimes. It sucks. Still okay. Fuck concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, but Frank Lloyd Wright was kind of a dick who thought he was better than everyone and last and lacked basic human empathy and a sense of personal responsibility. And in 1909, he abandoned his wife and kids to meet his lover in New York. Wait, which lover? Which lover? lover? We're gonna get into it. Ah! 
so many lovers. I'm also imagining, um, what was his name? Cecil? Did I make oh, that Cecil. up? Cecil. No, no, it wasn't Cecil. Cecil, Cecil and That's him, what I'm, like, I'm imagining him somewhere yeah. being like, are you fucking serious? Like, <laughs> yeah. How dare you? Yeah. Oh, now this is cool. Okay. Okay. There is there is a lot of good evidence. I think that Frank Lloyd Wright loved Frank Lloyd Wright more than anyone else. And there's a lot yes. of good evidence that the way that he loves people is that he's a narcissist. So he loves people as long as they're worshiping him and as long as they're telling him how great he is. But at the end of the day, he doesn't really have a sense of like loyalty or personal responsibility to anyone except for Frank mm. Lloyd Wright. So Mayma Cheney was different from White's Wright's wife, Catherine, where Catherine was a dutiful wife and mother who attended church and curbed her husband's wild spending. Mayma Cheney was a free thinking intellectual who was not particularly interested in feminine domesticity and believed in ideas of free love between men and women, which like, Pretty boss, actually. Pretty sweet. For the wait, time, but it's also unusual, is, that's for sure. Absolutely. But also, wait, is this Dick Cheney's great-great-great-grandma or something? What's going on right Ooh, now? I Mayma Cheney. I mean, no, and we'll get into why, but they okay, might cool. be distantly related in some way. Uh, she also had two children, which she would eventually abandon to run away with Wright. Right. Oh, so they're just like samesies. Yeah. yeah. They're just she's <laughs> just like in families. <laughs> yeah. She Anyone I mean one can see the road that they walk up. They're just like leaving everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it all. I mean, absolutely. She she had two kids and she kind of just believed like, well, nannies will raise them. She would like send them away. She just didn't wasn't really into caring for her own children either. Um Wright had met Cheney by chance in 1903, and she convinced her husband to hire him as an architect to build their home, which Wright would eventually wreck, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. That is <laughs> so funny. It's He's like, I want the bed to go here. I'm going to make sure it stays there because it's going to be my bed one day. This, <laughs> this, <laughs> this sounds like the beginning of a porno of just like I'm all home alone but the contractor's here like that's what it sounds like we're setting up <laughs> and right he now. comes in with a measuring tape for no reason yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> except that he's just like looks like it's about eight inches <laughs> <laughs> this bed will never squeak babe what's up <laughs> or move it's, it's just or stationary move. it's all stationary <laughs> I made it your husband's bed in the other room also stationary so funny. So Mayma and Catherine Wright had briefly been friends, and the two families <gasps> had spent a lot of time together. They even gave a talk at like a women's conference together as friends uh, until Mayma stole her fucking husband and started this affair in 1907, scandalizing the entire Ooh. neighborhood. Ooh. They would like. Frank and Mayma would like go like make out in their car and like people would catch them. It was like they're teenagers in like 1950. And they were like connecting outside of women's conferences. This is like some soap opera shit. Yeah, this it was very some, scandalous. This is some Debbie Reynolds, Elizabeth Taylor type shit. Like, yeah. Woo-hoo. Very Jack true. Hughes. Like this is because that is. 
Because that is my next question is like, did Wright take this lying down or did she let her? I'm pretty sure he took it lying down and then probably on top and then probably against a wall of some sort. But. (laughs) No, no, no. But he built it. So it's just uh, falling over. (laughs) Yes, it's falling over. Well, I meant his uh, the old one, the one that he left with all the kids. I mean, oh, I mean, oh, it is hard. We'll get into it more, but okay. she it takes her a really long time because divorce is just not really a thing at this time. And so for a long time, she's like, he'll come back. He'll see his senses like he'll come back. Uh, when Frank left his family in 1909, he had been considering taking on a job designing Henry Ford's estate but he gave it all up, choosing to join his mistress in New York, where they then went to Germany, where Wright wrote a book, and then they settled in the Italian countryside for a year, which was very romantic and would have been super cool, except realizing that he had been a piece of shit and admitting he was a crap father, in 1910, Wright returned to Oak Park to live next door to his wife in his architecture studio which he converted into a home while his mistress lived nearby this pretty much destroyed Catherine. it totally broke her heart though frank admitted he was a bad husband who didn't love Catherine as he had ought to like he wrote letters to friends being like i never really loved Catherine like she deserved he was unwilling and uninterested in changing his behavior because at the end of the day he's a piece of shit and his apologies mean nothing haven't we all dated him <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. I, yes. I am very grateful to have not dated this person, but also I <laughs> suspect that he would not divorce her for financial reasons, most likely. That's what I was going to ask: is yeah. why he would care yeah. about staying married or not? Yeah. She, yeah, he wanted to divorce her. He kept asking her for a divorce. She refused to divorce. That's him. what I thought. Oh, yeah, damn. But. So Catherine was convinced that Wright would eventually come to his senses and refuse to give him a divorce. And Wright could not remain in the social circles of Chicago with their wagging tongues for long. So basically, like, he can't get any work because of the scandal. No one will. Because he fucked up the friend group. He did. <laughs> You've been married. It's like, great. I'm just imagining everyone at home being like, did you hear about Frank and Catherine being like, great. Now whose house are we going to go to? <laughs> the thing is, what am I going to go to the studio for for Thanksgiving? Frank can't cook. That's an idiot. We're going to hang out with Catherine. Like Catherine wins. All the moms pick Catherine and he had no friends. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't. No one wants to work with him because they're like, well, you worked for this guy and then you stole his fucking wife. Like, <laughs> yup. Yeah. Yeah. Why would I pay you money to steal my wife? <laughs> I'm paying you to nail boards, not Ginny. Like, this is... <laughs> can't do it. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Uh, so, Wright sought an escape, like Ashby before him, to a rural place where he could act in privacy. But also, that's so... I mean, he's, like, dumb and narcissistic, but I like that he was, like, next door? Is that not going to work? This is fine. You're right. I should try the privacy of a field. Like, yeah, not next door to your wife. I think his thinking, like he talks about it a little bit, is he's like, then I can at least see the kids. And his wife is just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like she was, she was having like a mental breakdown. Well, they did. They missed their dad. Like his kids were still really young when he left and they Mm. had a really fucking hard time about it. Um, 
1911, Wright convinced his mother, Anna, to buy a small plot of land near her family home in rural Wisconsin, the same home that Frank had toiled on as a young man. Near this, sorry, near the same place, two of Wright's aunts, also school marms and spinsters, had started the Hillside Homeschool, one of the first co-educational schools in America and one of the only financially successful rural schools that Frank would come into contact with. (laughs) (laughs) Yes! Spinsters are back. Jordan, Jordan, I want to hear about spinsters because I know you got some info. I do. Yeah, I actually have. And I it ties a lot into uh, what we've been talking about because um, I did misspeak on the last episode. There were there have been four uh, lanes that women can choose to go into to have independence and not no expectations of being married. Spinster, nun, sex worker, teacher. So. I have some very interesting nun facts as well, you guys. Um, yes, ooh, give it to me. Yes. This is, hey guys, welcome to Spinster Corner. We're gonna get some facts. <laughs> We've got no so, nonsense facts for you. <laughs> yes, yes. I love Spinster Corner because I currently so, sit and reside in Spinster Corner. Oh yes, no, it's uh, as do I, but for different reasons. So spinster is actually was a job title that was a job description for centuries. That is someone who spins yarn. It's a textile job. Like you are making yarn, you're making thread, you're making clothing or you know fabric. Um, and it wasn't until later that it became a derisive term because women who were able to work in textiles and make cloth and spin yarn. That was a way to have financial security without ever mm-hmm. having to get married. So a lot of women were, they did that and it became this like, Oh, well she's a spinster cause she's not married. And Oh my God, did you, did you hear that she makes her own money? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> so that's where the term spinster comes from. Uh, and as a, as a textile artist, I love it. I just like the idea of them having like badass matching bomber jackets with like a spool <laughs> on the back. <laughs> just like it's the just spinsters. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they come in like the pink ladies, like smoking yes. cigarettes. Like. Yeah. Well, and s- school teachers basically uh for a lot of time in american history at least if you were a school teacher you were not allowed to continue teaching after you got married so elder an older woman who is a teacher like you his his aunts were teachers yeah that means that they were not married that's because you were not allowed Would, to could continue you go back? teaching you couldn't Could go widowers back to- be teachers? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Because that's what I was so, thinking about, the idea of having an old school marm and it being yes. that she was married, but now she's alone or whatever. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it, it could it be It sounds like his widowers. aunts were older. Yeah. Um, and so that either means that they never got married or that they were widowed at the time that they established the school. Yeah. Um, because that just it was not done. I I 
could look into why because there's there's specific reasons i think it has to do with like the puritanical uh society that america was founded on and this idea of like pure purity um a lot of it too is the belief that a woman should be taking care of her husband and her home and her children so like yes if you're not doing that you're not a good person so if you're working right. all day, yes. you're not taking care of your husband so yes. like you just cannot have those things be deprived of your presence no. so they just can't exist yeah. Yeah. And we still treat women in the workplace like a scourge. What's up? <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't even make women's running shoes until 1973. Like they thought our uteruses would drop out of our bodies. So, oh yeah, I'm not, not allowed to be in the Boston Marathon. That, nothing. Because like, I was, because I was thinking about the idea of thinking a woman like we were kind of joking about before, but literally that long ago, thinking about like a woman's body and the capabilities and being like, she can't do both of those things. She'll pass out. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. no my period just right like we can't, there's not enough we can't make enough fainting couches for married women to be teachers like them thinking they would just be constantly well, she passes out in the middle of the lesson oh no we'll yeah. need gallons absolutely. of smelling salts yeah <laughs> yes. absolutely carry the three oh <laughs> <Just falling laughs> yeah the hillside school is actually really interesting too because the only reason it did go bankrupt at one point, but the only reason it went bankrupt is because Wright's aunts invested in one of their brother's shitty land deals and lost all oh, their money. Man. So, like, basically, the men in this family. They made, family, like, a bad investment. Absolutely. <laughs> the men in this family are just fucking shit up, and the women are taking care of business is what is happening mm. right now. Uh, but speaking of queer erasure and women having options, uh, a lot of women joined the sisterhood and became nuns because they did not want to get married and in monasteries in these spaces they were encouraged to form intimate relationships with each other so a lot of and it, the term is particular friendship and it is a synonym for lesbian relationship because yeah because they didn't really think those were real so they were like buddy up ladies but i don't know what this is called because they didn't think lesbians were real yet no 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 they absolutely did it was just that as a okay. woman you were not going to get uh hate crimed if you were a lesbian living at the convent with all other women oh. and you were allowed to and encouraged to have relationships with other women like that was it was you had your close friendships and then you had your particular friendships that's what i mean wait so was it like don't ask don't tell mm -hmm. for kind of okay yeah, yeah it was interesting it wasn't until uh it, it wasn't until like the 70s or the 80s that in like the 1970s or 80s that it was considered wrong it really like this was a prevalent mm. thing within the nun community, I guess. Um, it was like, yeah, we're going down on each other. What do you think these dresses are so big at the bottom for? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was because it's, it, it, it makes sense if you think about it though, because religious ecstasy was considered sexual ecstasy. Like as humans, we are constantly trying to figure out ways to convey this message. And it really wasn't until the church split and became Protestant and Catholic or I'm sorry, Lutheran and Catholic that the idea of sex being repulsive in religion 
became a thing. Yeah, because and you like you hear the story of St. Teresa, who was repeatedly entered by the spear of the love of God until she was whipped into a religious ecstasy. There is a lot of entering in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And because yeah, she, she kind of was... looks like she's coming in those paintings. Oh, yeah. No, the the I think it was uh, the one of the French monarchs or something. He saw the painting or he saw the sculpture, the ecstasy of St. Teresa. And he goes, that's religious ecstasy. I know it well. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that's some hot shit. Uh, OK, How very this is the nun corner. <laughs> <laughs> also wait was that like the bill clinton of the monastery like it was, it was like huh, i know what that face means get that guy out of here <laughs> get your saxophone out of here you fucking lunatic <laughs> why did you have to bring him everywhere go home <laughs> just being hustled out with a saxophone uh and that's uh, that was awesome is that the that's end of queer spencer erasure <laughs> yeah <What? laughs> is that the end of spinster corner that is the end of spinster corner okay so having not worked for an entire year Wright was low on funds i wonder how so he convinced what? a friend to give him funding to build his poor old mother a little cottage and what he really did was design a spacious love nest for himself and his mistress that was many times more spectacular than the one he had designed for his wife and og family oh, and he God. called it <laughs> He even included a drafting studio so he could work inside it. And like many shitheads that came before him and would come after him, he put the property in his mother's name, allowing him to hide his assets from his wife in the impending divorce proceedings that he was expecting. Damn! Oh, my God. The building Wright designed wrapped itself around a hill that Wright had spent a lot of time on as a young boy. And the whole design of the building was to mimic the image of him and his lover and embrace. The feminine hill and the masculine building intertwined as one entity. This is what Wright would call his natural houses that sought to integrate architecture into landscape. This is a direct quote from the book. Unlike the tight interlocking geometries of his prairie school designs, this house was loosely laid out, informal, asymmetrical, designed to follow the hill's contours. He would call it Taliesin. Does it look that way from an aerial perspective, the wraparound? Not really. You kind of see it. It like juts out from the side of the hill. So it's kind of built on the side. It almost looks like it's off of it. Taliesin means shining brow, and it's actually the name of a 6th century Welsh poet who in the tales of King Arthur was the only one who was able to see into the grail. So, uh, right? Again, like, super special. Well, no. also, yes. you have to remember that chalices and grails historically usually represent the feminine because they're a receptacle. Yeah. So, so there are layers to that name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you get really gross. into weird grail lore, you hear about that a lot. It's He's a like, it represents a cup full of jizz. <laughs> it's just yeah. a diva cup full of blood. Um, oh, <laughs> so, right? I mean, 
Wright was super into like Arthurian legend and like Greek poetry and all this stuff. And he very much saw himself as this like brave crusader. And the way that he framed the abandonment of his family was that he was committing a brave act in the name of love. So he saw it very Yo! romantically. Yeah, he's oh, kind of a piece of fucking shit. The love shit. of the love of his of mistress. His mistress. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, love for who? And then I was like, oh, himself. Got to go. He's on board. I was so confused for a second. That's, he has this awful. just like very dramatic, childish idea of just like passion and love and blah and whatever. And he definitely felt that way about this woman. And I think it's really interesting because. I don't think Frank Lloyd Wright really has a conscience. I don't really see any evidence for it in the way that he talks about himself or other people. I think he recognizes on the surface that these things weren't good, but he would never take them back. Yes, in terms of like finding a way to even the romanticizing of like, well, we were just so in love. And it's like, you left almost a dozen people behind collectively <laughs> that you made. Like, yeah. yes. You left yes. behind yes. half a classroom to yes. go after love. Yes. So like, let's <laughs> yes. talk about that yes. part Absolutely. Also. He's, he's shitty, uh, right? So Wright completely immersed himself in the construction of this new home and life with Mayma. Though his children would often write to him, begging him to come home, their letters went unanswered. Oh, jeez. Oh, Brutal. I cannot imagine. He just didn't I even, mean, he didn't even write back to his children. Like, he's fuck creating, Frank Lloyd Wright. He's creating a Duke of Hastings, if anyone has watched Bridgerton. Like, that's how you make <laughs> yes. one of those. It's just by, like, yes. not answering letters. The only rich, successful dad I've heard of that's worse was John Paul Getty writing his son, not writing his son back, but sending his letter back grammatically edited. Oh, oh shit. That's, fuck. that's the only, <laughs> that's so that's the only that's worst thing I've heard a dad do in terms of a child, abandoned oh, child shit. reaching out. Yeah. Fuck, I mean, honestly, I'm going to say it once. I'm going to say it many times. Fuck Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, <laughs> that's the drinking game of this three-part series, everyone that's listening. It's called Take a drink fuck every Frank time Lloyd Wright. Says, fuck Frank Lloyd Wright. Here's the thing, though. As shitty of a father as Frank Lloyd Wright was, I don't think anyone really deserves what happened next. On August 15th, 1914, Julian Carlton, a servant originally from Barbados, who was serving in the Wright's home, had served lunch to Mayma Cheney and her two children, ages 11 to 9, who had been visiting her for the summer. So her original children from her first marriage came back. Okay. Carlton asked for gasoline to clean a rug, which apparently was a thing back in the day. I looked it up. It used to be you could pour gasoline. They recommended, like, brushing gasoline onto old rugs to, like, reduce their fading. It was supposed to brighten mm. them. Brighten them? I don't know. He cleaned the rug with We've gasoline. We've done all kinds of weird shit with textiles. Absolutely. It's, there's always been a, <laughs> a way to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. It, it's super. I mean, I, I looked it up, and they recommended, like, 
cleaning windows with it. It was just they're like, it's an all-purpose cleaner. <laughs> like it's oh, gasoline. It's their oxyclean. Well, yeah. it's like how Clorox <laughs> used to be a, a douche. Their Billy Mays would be just as fun if he was huffing gasoline all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Billy Mays here. Dost thou need to clean thou rugs? Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, It was also really big for Merkins. That's what Paige just said. Wait. No, I'm joking. Sorry. I'm joking. (laughs) I did not say that, but I wish I had. I wish I had that fact, if that's true. I was like, wait, they I, also had Merkins. I think that's what that Sean Paul song is about. They did it's have not. Merkins back then. If if you guys don't know, Absolutely. a Merkin is uh, basically a wig for your lady parts, mm-hmm. for your pubic They've hair. For <laughs> almost as long as people have had lady parts, we have had Merkins. They have been around for almost oh, ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. like with yeah. the way they had wigs in court? I didn't know they needed them back then. Well, okay. they would, yeah. they would, you would shave your pubic hair because of like lice and shit. And then you'd be oh, like, but I'm but then put that on. Yeah, yeah but it was for still modesty. Yes. Yeah. But it was still or fashionable. It, people have been waxing Jordan's their genitals face. for centuries. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yep. I have what I like to call a robust 70s bush. Good for you, girl. Yes. Yes. I absolutely refuse to do anything. <laughs> One of my friends for Halloween one year just took like an Afro wig and put it in her pants and wore a swimsuit with the Afro wig as her support. It It was beautiful. It was really beautiful. And she went as like a '60s porn star. Oh man, so great. great! Carlton asked for gasoline to clean a rug. He then nailed all of the Taliesin doors shut except for the lower half of a single Dutch door and set the place on fire. He waited outside the door with an axe and anyone who crawled out, he hacked to death. Holy shit. Yeah, shit gets fucking dark. What was his relation dark. to right? He was just a worker. He was just a servant in the house. Oh. All told, t- only two people escaped the fire unharmed. One was a draftsman and skilled gymnast who somersaulted out of an upper floor window. And the other was Wright's foreman. Which I know that this isn't funny at all, but I'm now imagining someone just being like, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) But I'm picturing them landing and then sticking the landing. Yeah. Yeah. Like 1920 strong man flipping out of a window. (laughs) That's how I also imagined it. People got to have the coolest jobs back then i'm a draftsman and a skilled a gym- gymnast, gymnast. and absolutely <laughs> yeah like i used to be in the circus and now i build houses um but wait is it a rumor that he was in love with um mayor well maybe what's Mayma? her name me 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 I, I didn't hear that rumor from the story that I read, um, but there are a couple different ideas about why he might have done this. Um, okay. He committed suicide in prison a few months after he committed these events, and so it's wow. hard to say for sure, but that earlier that month, he had been given his notice, which basically said, like, we're firing you. You need to look for a new place to work. And he had also faced, he's black, he faced racial discrimination in rural Wisconsin in 1914. So 
he had had some issues where people asked him to work and he said like no I don't want to work for you and then they you know hurled racial slurs at him and also like I doubt that Frank Lloyd Wright I I mean I I googled was Frank Lloyd Wright racist because I was like what level you know like what level of care and consideration was he being treated with by his employers probably and not much not a lot it wasn't great like Frank Lloyd Wright I mean some evidence that I found Frank Lloyd Wright did design a school for black children in the rural south in the Jim Crow south for a like black people who wanted a school for their children but the way that he talks about black people is for the time I would say average but not great you know it's very dismissive it's treating them as if they're like not as smart or like less than and he was like well you know even these people he didn't say these people he said other words deserve to have a school that's nice I guess you know it's just very like He's not talking about black people in a nice way. It's kind of par for the course but at this not time. Enough, this time. But not enough that it would be like egregious. A revenge thing or something. Yeah. Yeah. Other than yeah. like you're saying the idea of him getting fired and just not knowing that he couldn't get work anywhere else or whatever. Yeah, I th I think that there was some mental illness on his part and people speculate that, you know, people called him a madman. They're like, he was fucking crazy. This is fucking crazy. Because it is. You set fire to a building right. and killed children right. and a woman. And wasn't it during, why? was it during the day? Did people see it? It was, it just says on August 15th. So it did, I didn't hear whether he started it in the daytime or the nighttime. Some of Wright's neighbors did see the fire and wound up coming over and they helped put the fire out. But most of the building was burned. The only part that remained of the building was, um, was the design studio, actually. And a lot of people at the time speculated that this was some type of divine retribution. So th even when the papers covered it, they're like, well, they were living in sin. So this oh, is what God. they fucking get. Oh, Ooh. because of the mistress and everything. Yeah, because Ooh. she was a mistress. So like, it's like two kids died. Actually, at least three kids died because there was one of the workmen had a child there too that did not survive. So it's like a bunch oh. of people died. Like, go fuck yourself for calling this divine retribution. Yeah. Yeah, we're hacked to death if they didn't burn to death. Hacked to death. Yeah. yeah. Pretty fucking dark. Yikes. After burying Mayma in the Lloyd Jones family cemetery in a simple pine coffin filled with flowers he picked himself, Wright returned to the burnt remains of Taliesin. And almost immediately, Wright started plans to rebuild because he, the only part that was left was his drafting studio. So he's like, I guess round two, we're fucking doing it. <laughs> Um, but at the time, Wright did not have the funds to build a new building. Like, again, he barely had the funding for the first one. And now he has to rebuild the whole thing. And, like, he just, he hasn't really been working that much. He hasn't really been doing that much. So, like, where the fuck is he going to get this money from? All of that would change with the help of a new woman in his life. Oh, of course. Geez. Well, wait, before we move on, do you think that he loved Mayma? I think he did as much as he's capable of, you know? I think that I hate how romantic that uh, 
coffin full of flowers is. I know. That's why I asked. <laughs> this is this is what I think about Wright is I think that Wright had a lot of very like romantic ideas. I think Wright saw himself as a character in a story and the main character of his own story. And so I think that all of these sort of like pop in circumstance, you know, he dressed very uh what's the word I'm looking for? Like he dressed super fancy all the time and like what's what's the word ostentatious extravagant yeah Yeah, it's it's like he was always kind of showing off he's always kind of putting on airs he's always like i'm better than everyone i'm a little bit he's got flair he's got a lot of flair yeah so i do also i can see the idea of being so much of a narcissist that even though you're heartbroken that the mistress you love was murdered there is that constant internal dialogue and idea that you're on a show where you're like look at me pick all these flowers and put them in the coffin like you feel like you're being watched even when no one's around because you're that full of yourself does that make sense well someone else who was at the funeral said that Wright didn't cry he just buried her so I'm not saying like everyone grieves differently. You're not always going to cry at a funeral. That doesn't mean you're a monster. But I do think that the right, I do think that the way that Wright loved people was very much about himself and about what they gave him and how they upheld his sense of superiority and intellectual prowess and, you know, whatever else, as much as about who they were, if that makes sense. Like, he didn't know how to love the right way. He only knew how to love the right way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Katrina says she doesn't like puns, but here we fucking are, baby. She's the only one who makes them at this point. (laughs) I just ripped my shirt off in anger. (laughs) What's up? (laughs) So... Although Wright was very much disgraced in bourgeois circles, like all well-known bad boys, he had his fair share of admirers. A few months after the murder of his mistress, it is still 1915, by the way. Like, literally, his his mistress died in August. A few months later, he's getting some letters. Wright received a letter from a sympathetic admirer named Miriam Noel. Miriam wrote him some pretty steamy verses, and with a very lonely Christmas looming before him, what was he going to do? Go see his children? Get real. (laughs) Oh, my God. So funny. Also thought about them when Mamie's kids got to come. You know that, like, three weeks before that, they were like, oh, what the fuck? We can't come visit? And then they're like, okay, fine, take it back. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Uh. So Wright wrote her back, this random woman, but again, not his own children. (laughs) So he's just like writing to this woman. Um, (laughs) Now I'm imagining being like, Bill, Bill, letter from a kid, letter from a kid. Ooh, hello. (laughs) Letter from a stranger. He like breaks the wax seal and opens it. You up? Question mark. Yeah. Absolutely. It probably smelled of perfume. She wrote him some shit about like flowers in a way that was sexual. It was very like of the time romance, I guess. Right. Um, This is what Wright says in his response to her. He ventures, you're probably neither young nor pretty. No matter, I hunger for the living touch of someone. At times, almost anyone or anything. 
So this is the Hashtag start of a really <laughs> yes. Wow, oh my God, ladies! If a dude hits you with, I guess, like you deserve better. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Off top, I'm gonna tell you this: you're probably pretty old and ugly, but that's no problem here. Like, yeah. what is going on? That, that's yeah. the old tiny version of the Tinder. The Tinder responses I used to get from dudes that would be like. Uh, I don't normally do fat chicks, but you're pretty, so I'll make an exception. Like, that's oh. the level of douchebaggery we're wow. dealing with here. Yeah, but pretty in much. a letter of someone that you haven't seen at all, yes. Like, yes. because yeah. we know this person, it's probably that arrogant. But you could also read it the reverse and be like, oh, this guy just thinks that he's so horrible that no one decent would ever write him. And be like, no, but I am. Like, I can, I don't think that that's the way he means I it. I think he probably, <laughs> Yeah. It's it's like the the original pickup artist. Yeah, he's, he's nagging. I mean, yes. yeah, we're like, I used to do that to guys. <laughs> <laughs> nice. so was Jordan. Like, Jordan has told me about this. <laughs> yeah, no, I uh, there's there's nothing more fun than a man with something to prove. <laughs> yeah, that's actually pretty true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. But also now I'm imagine him pick up artisting a letter, like just like a quill and a letter, but just that obnoxious ass top hat. <laughs> he pulls the quill from his top hat to write it. Yeah. He's like, even though she can't see me, still got a peacock. <laughs> just like writing. I mean, I again, I think Frank Lloyd Wright is someone who really just thinks about how people can serve his needs and isn't really yeah. interested I mean, in serving anyone else's needs. Could not be more towards the point. It, that is so about him that he doesn't care if that would insult her enough to never write back again. Yeah. Like he's like, look, I wrote four of this letter. Yeah. And mailed them yeah. all out. So <laughs> if you go right back, I don't care. Like, I just insulted three other women the same way. So one of you is bound to bite. Like, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. So Noel pretty much funded Wright's rebuilding of Taliesin. He, she helped him build his burnt out love nest house. Um, and they left for Japan, I would say, a few months after meeting together. Uh, Catherine so still has not move? given him a divorce. But that's his move, is that he meets a woman, she pays him, he takes her to Japan. Are they going to go to Italy after? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. right... So Wright got a huge commission in Japan. He was building one of the hotels and he was there okay. for several years. And Miriam Noel was with him. Again, though, he still doesn't have a divorce. He is still legally married to Catherine. He put a mistress in the ground and he's still <laughs> not divorced. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, he's like, I literally built a new foundation with a second woman. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and still... No divorce from Catherine. This, here's the thing. I think you guys can tell this was probably not a super healthy relationship. Right. Um, there were also some other factors. Catherine finally gave Wright his divorce in 1923. He waited wow. the requisite year before marrying Noel, and they separated five months later because Ooh. of her opiate addiction and his numerous love affairs. Holy Jeez. shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Five <laughs> months. Five months. Oof. Yeah. So they were t they were together for like seven years as a couple. 
you but know, so because they, they met in 1915. It, and then they got married. Yeah. <laughs> and then they yeah. got married to save the relationship. I don't know if either of you have ever been proposed to at the end of a relationship before. Yes. But it never fucking works. I'm so glad I didn't go through with that marriage. I was definitely proposed to as like a we're growing apart and I don't know what to do about this. Um, it fucking sucks. The sucks. idea of that makes me want to have a panic attack. It was very <laughs> stressful. You know what happens the though? Idea of that being I am the glad that's never is- happened to me. <laughs> Oh my God, that sounds so stressful. It's like, I know what will help. (laughs) Like, you don't want to be in the same room as me anymore. I know what will help. Let's be in the same room forever. What? No. (laughs) Let's make it legal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what happened in my case is that basically I was like, this is hard, but we can work through it together. And then his solution was, I will change none of my behaviors, but give you this shiny ring I got from a pawn shop. And I was like, oh no, this forever? I don't think I can do it. And then I peace the fuck out. So yeah, I get it. And so they, he was basically, Frank was basically just sleeping with a bunch of different women while she was asleep. Yeah. And then they were like, let's <laughs> try to get married. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, cause at first I was like, I can't believe he was cheating. But then I was like, she just was like nodding off half the time. But also so this is what I'm going to say. Completely- oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jordan. Oh, that's just completely his M.O. is just yeah. like as many partners as he can. I'm confused. Fair enough. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like he lost the plot at some point because I was like, oh, OK, he doesn't like his wife because he's gay and he's in love with Ce- Cecil. But then he just turned into this philandering. I'm going to fuck as many women as I can at once. Like what, ha- well, what happened here? Do you think maybe he's compensating for the fact that he can't form lasting deep relationships with this these women because he's not truly attracted to them? Or perhaps he's just bi, but I, I feel like yeah. potentially his internal homosexuality might be a, a barrier to him forming vulnerable connections with people. I, th- I posit, I think, I think Frank Lloyd Wright had he definitely had sexual relationships with women. He definitely enjoyed sex with women. I think that Frank Lloyd Wright also had homosexual liaisons. I think that he had sex with men as well. Um, I think at the end of the day, Frank Lloyd Wright is a narcissist. And so Mm, his ability to love others is completely predicated on appearances, what they, what they do for him, how they serve him. And he likes people as long as he likes them and then he gets bored of them and he just kind of pieces out. So I don't think Frank Lloyd Wright has the ability to really love people in the way that people who are capable of sustaining a committed partnership have. I think if he could have possibly gotten out of his own way that he could have maybe been in love with Cecil. That's just me holding out though. But I think that there would be possibly that could have maybe been something that made him have some sort of like consideration uh, for anything. But even him writing that he realized he could have been a better husband to Catherine shows some kind of awareness. I don't know. I think he has an awareness. Again, I think he doesn't feel responsible. I think at the end of the day. Like he can recognize it, but he's like, I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, like sociopaths know what they're doing is fucked up, but at the end of the day, they still do it. They don't feel bad. They don't like, really it's like, feel I bad. I know what this feel is, bad. but like, I don't feel like I can't force like the thing. I can't. <laughs> right. Gets his divorce from Catherine. Waits a year. Marries Miriam. 
they separate after five months, but they are not officially divorced. He is still officially oh my married. God. Well, yeah, they're going to be married for at least another 10 years. You know how he do. We break up. I have two to three other long-term relationships. Then we get a divorce. Literally, right? Is like alone for, I don't know, a month or something. And he oh, writes no. to a friend or he writes to his son, Lloyd, in 1924, quote oh look who has my address now <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely he right fucking said on this guy <laughs> he, he writes to his son in 1924 quote i am learning to be alone by degrees end quote and by oh alone God. he meant having a whole other mistress <laughs> yeah <laughs> Because by yeah, you're not alone at all. What does that even mean? Absolutely. You're fucking someone else. You're yeah. not alone. Yeah. What? So before he had officially divorced Noel, Wright had met Olga Ivanova Lazovich Hindenburg, also known oh, as Olgivana. She sounds like a character in Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> yes, she does. With a long lineage. Olgivana was a Russian native who had fled her home country during the Russian Revolution. She had been married in 1917, but she had she had only been married for like a year. She got married, had a baby, and then immediately abandoned her husband and daughter to follow this man named Georgi Gurdjieff in a whole other cult. <laughs> she basically just abandoned her whole family, joined this cult. So during her time in this cult, Olgivana had a few same-sex romantic relationships, despite the fact that Gurdjieff frowned upon those types of relationships. So she's mostly likely bisexual or pansexual. And at the time she met Wright, she was 27 and he was 57. Oh, jeez. Yeah. He keeps managing to find women who have very similar stories to his own. Yeah. yeah. I mean... <sighs> Yeah, so Ogivana and Wright partially met because Wright had heard about Gurdjieff's cult. It was called the Institute of the Harmonious Development of Man. Now, the institute developed by Gurdjieff after, quote, travels in the East, end quote, <laughs> basically taught that the soul could get trapped in the body by things like ego and personality, and that the only way to free the soul was to do exactly what Gurdjieff told you to do <laughs> like it's classic cult shit he's just like I have yeah, all the yeah, answers yeah. this is how you achieve enlightenment um his followers believed he was an enlightened spiritual guru who could guide their souls to enlightenment or freedom after death shortly before Olgivana met right Gurdjieff had disbanded his group because he had been in a car accident and he couldn't keep the cult going because basically a huge part of the cult was that they would travel around the country doing dances it's very uh what's the thing Paige the I mean, Chinese been... Shen, Yun. Oh, Shen, Yu. Shen, Shen Yu Shen Yu it's a lot like Shen Yu they had all these like dances so Olgivana was this like hypnotic enlightened dancer basically and they had this like group where they would train and do all these dances all the time and followers would work for the group and like perform for the group and basically Gurdjieff took all of their money to sort of fund his own life and so when he disbanded the group he was still trying to get people to like 
pay him as a teacher or as a guru to like take his classes to teach them how to free their soul. Um, and so after Gurdjieff got in this car accident right around 1924, he urged Olgivana to reconcile with her estranged husband and daughter. They had been apart for seven years. And now instead she meets Frank Lloyd Wright which is also just like women who love abandoning their children like yeah you were in a cult the person you were following is like go back to your family you're like "Mm, that's okay well she did so she did reunite with her daughter briefly um her daughter was actually not with her husband her daughter was with her brother and sister so like her husband was living in america her daughter was living in a different part of America. So she like went and like nabbed up her daughter and was like, we're together now. And then started this affair with Frank Lloyd Wright. She's still legally married to her husband. He's still legally married to his second wife. So Olga Ivana did eventually divorce her husband and take her daughter to live with Wright at Taliesin, officially telling everyone she was the maid. Yeah, I dress up like a maid sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, that story worked uh, until she became pregnant with Wright's child in 1925. Around this same time, is he at? So he has six. This is. Yeah, I was mopping up some of his jizz with my vagina as I was cleaning and accidentally got pregnant. (laughs) This is actually only his seventh child. So he had six with Catherine. He didn't have any with Miriam. I think she was a lot older, and so she didn't really have any kids. Um, Mm. And then this is his seventh child. So she's pregnant with Wright's seventh child, their first child together. They're not legally married. She's technically divorced from her husband. Wright is still married to Miriam. And around this time, an electrical fire burned out the living quarters at Taliesin. (laughs) Oh, are you fucking kidding me? It's fucking cursed. Uh, And Wright's estranged wife, angry that he had found happiness with a new lover, began a vindictive campaign, stalling their divorce, demanding more money in the settlement, and smearing his reputation throughout all of the papers. Oh. She was mad. She was super mad. But also, like, this property must be uninsurable at this point. Like, what are we even doing? <laughs> it's not so good. many fires. It's not good. By the time his second divorce finally cleared in 1927, Wright was already in dire straits. Although he'd been to Japan and created some major commissions, his horrible spending habits, volatile personality, and scandalous personal life had cost him money and clients. By the time of his divorce, he was $47,000 in debt in 1927 money. Because also, real quick, I feel like you've only mentioned commissions in Japan. Does he get work in America? Or like you said, people just don't want to work with him. He is having a really hard time finding work. He does. He'll here and there get commissions. Or sometimes what will happen is another architect will be like, hey, we need some help with this. But his name won't officially be attached to it because of all the scandal. So people are kind of like throwing him bones. People are giving him loans. Like things are happening. But also not wanting to outwardly be like attached to him. Yeah. So he is getting some work, but very little work in America. And again, it's because of all this fucking scandal. Like it's because he's being a piece of shit. Um, Mm -hmm. By so. Oh, 
Forty-seven thousand dollars in nineteen twenty-seven money, by the way, is about seven hundred thousand dollars today. It's, Damn, I mean, that is not a little bit of money. It's a lot. You could buy two houses in Milwaukee for that. It's a lot. So you could make so, two teleessens now. Absolutely. By January nineteen twenty-eight, the bank was threatening to sell Taliesin if Wright didn't remove Olgevana from the property because they were not yet legally married. So they're like, you can't live in wow. sin or we're going to take your property, which I didn't know you could do. Yeah, That's crazy. Well, I, I mean, it depends on the laws of where you're at. I mean, some state laws still have crazy laws like that on the books. Uh-huh. Yeah. In Milwaukee, you can't have more than three women living together in a rental property because it's technically considered a brothel. That's what I was thinking mm-hmm. in terms of stuff back then and... Uh, <laughs> his ex-wife being mad yeah so when i was when i was in college some of my friends would take a lease as three people and then have a fourth roommate because they couldn't have four women on because legally it still cannot that's Hilarious. so also Hilarious. made me feel so dangerous you're just like trying to learn in college and you're like you guys seriously yeah <laughs> we're basically yeah. <laughs> we're basically we're a crushing it a if like you hook up with a guy and he leaves his wallet overnight we're in trouble <laughs> <laughs> absolutely on july 30th 1928 Wright's mortgage on taliesin was two months past the bank put it up for sale but there were no takers I wonder why. Maybe because it's fucking haunted. Because <laughs> it burned down twice. Yeah, I was about to say because you've spent so money spending building it twice now. Yeah, it's probably cursed. Like everyone is like, no fucking way I want to live there. It's fucking cursed. There's fires. There's dead witches and shit. Like no way. No fucking way. So the bank actually sold it to themselves and started like <laughs> renting the property to write. So, like, Wright could still live there, but he had to pay rent money. Like, it was just this whole fucking what the fuck thing. You couldn't keep up with the mortgage. Basically, yeah. It was really, it was a bizarre situation. I looked into, like, I kept trying to understand this, and I was like, the bank sold it to themselves? What does that even mean? I That's a mortgage is what that is. (laughs) Yeah. That's basically. That's how mortgages work, basically. So, Wright had, around this time, Wright's lawyer had formed Frank Lloyd Wright Incorporated, which Wright fucking detested. But basically what he did is he kept all of Frank Lloyd Wright's money and would give him a salary. He'd be like, you get $500 a week and that's fucking it because you are not good at paying your bills. Exactly. (laughs) So he's like, I'm trying, he's basically like, I'm trying to make you financially solvent, but every time you get money, you spend it on dumb shit. So this is what you get every week. And he was like all pissed off about it and really mad. But this dude is basically trying to save him from himself. Right. And he's like, I want to go to Japan and fuck strangers. Wayne. Yeah. His, <laughs> I mean, his whole plan is like his lawyers like, look, I'll help you get Taliesin back. But you have to follow a budget. You can't just spend whatever you fucking want all the time. And but he's so- got a seventh kid to abandon. <laughs> is his lawyer not even yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. about this? Right? This his daughter isn't even born yet at this time, I don't think. So she's still just pregnant. They're not married. It's a whole thing. And this is where Frank Lloyd Wright has the brilliant idea to create a studio at Taliesin with room for several draftsmen and their families and pay them in room and board for the pleasure of working for him. 
Mmm, fun. And that's where we'll pick up next week with part three of Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> Yay! Getting paid in exposure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that really is his whole fucking plan, is he's just like, I'm so great. What if people paid me to be here? <laughs> even even now knowing this much more about what led up to what we're going to get into next episode is really a good gives me a better idea of like the level of desperation he was in everything in his life and where the placement of it is it's like yeah this was this is going to be interesting well also look this is 1928 so a little foreshadowing the entire stock market fucking crashes real soon here. So like, oh yeah, so, so like, everyone's yeah. about to be in it. Yeah. It gets worse before it gets better. But yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright was, I mean, he was not making money. His career was in shambles. It was a fucking mess. Um, and we'll get into sort of how he digs himself out of that hole. But yeah. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Andrea, yeah, for another yeah. amazing installment of Frank Lloyd da, da, Wright. Da, da. Um, yes. I, I'm more excited about the relationships in this episode because they were, like, drama-filled, but at least, like, out, lived out. There was less suppressed things in this episode for me, so I liked yeah. it. And I don't know where everyone's Frank, uh, fuck Frank Lloyd Wright count is right now, but... <laughs> There's a lot of it. We'll There's see. That's we'll pretty see high. where we're at for high. next episode. <laughs> I feel like it might have a slight uptick. Um, so thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of Pavant Guard. If you like listening to us and want to follow us for updates and funny posts and visuals that go along with the episodes, follow us at P-O-D-V-A-N-T-G-A-R-D-E on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and if you like me, Katrina Davis, as an individual, you can follow me at Katrina Savad, S-I-V-A-D. It's just Davis backwards on everything you care about on the internet for the most part. Yeah, if you guys like me and want to see some other stuff of mine, I'm on Instagram at Andrea Gazetta. I have a website where I sell my art, andreagazetta.com. I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive stickers and cool shit at patreon.com slash Andrea Gazetta. And I have a TikTok, Jordan, at Andrea Gazetta, <laughs> yay. <laughs> Andrea Gazetta, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am the least social media savvy, but if you want to follow me uh, screaming about textiles periodically uh, or want to see the dollhouse <laughs> that I'm building, I am at the Goonie Bird if you want to see uh, my big dumb face. And what's my art account? Sweet Baby Girl Stitching, which is all <laughs> spelled wrong, but it's in the bio of the Goonie Bird. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Paige. Um Hi, Paige. If you want to, hi. <laughs> if you want to hear more from me, you can listen to me on Cult Podcast, Horror Virgin, or Romancing the Pod. You can find me on Twitter at Paige Wesley or on Instagram and TikTok at Rampage Wesley. Hell yeah. Paige is hilarious. She's like basically a podcasting professional. <laughs> yeah, I listened to a embarrassing amount of Paige's podcast to be recording a podcast it's with her. Pretty fucking great. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind.
Um, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Pavant Guard. And frankly, there's no way we're not going to see you on part two because why would you stop here? So have a good day or night or whatever. Bye. 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 Love you. <laughs>